Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Sports Travel Podcast, where we interview leaders from throughout the sports event industry. This is Matt Traub, Senior Editor of Sports Travel, and our guest today is Jackie McWilliams, Commissioner of the CIAA. But before we begin, first a word from our sponsor. The Maryland Sports Commission is an industry leader when it comes to hosting world-class sporting events, and we're proud to welcome the CIAA Basketball Tournament to Baltimore, Maryland. The Maryland Sports Commission works with tourism professionals from across the state to recruit and deliver premier sport tourism events and unforgettable experiences for every member of the traveling sports family. From the mountains to the ocean and so much in between, Maryland Sports can work with your organization to plan your next tournament or sports tourism event. Follow Maryland Sports on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and visit us at marylandsports.us. And now, on to the conversation. This year's CIAA Men's and Women's Basketball Tournaments, starting February 22nd, will be the conference's first in Baltimore since 1952. In addition to the basketball, fans will be able to enjoy community engagement, step shows, and concerts. Staple events such as Fan Fest, Education Day, and the Career Expo will again be featured during one of the country's premier college basketball and cultural experiences. Jackie McWilliams has been commissioner of the CIAA for nine years after working in the NCAA's championship division in Indianapolis. She joins the podcast to discuss why the league moved its tournament to Baltimore and what festivities fans will be able to enjoy, the history of the CIAA that even basketball fans may not realize, how HBCU athletes and schools are getting more attention than ever before, gains made in diversity and inclusion on the collegiate level, and what the landscape looks in the future for the CIAA and college sports in general. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Commissioner Jackie McWilliams, thank you for joining us today on the Sports Travel Podcast. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having us here today with you. For those who have never been before to the CIAA tournament, describe what this event means to people within the conference and for your participating schools. Yeah, thank you for that question. You know, this tournament and just the CIAA in general means a lot to a lot of people. I mean, it's their first historically Black conference that was founded in 1912. The first tournament happened in 1946 in Washington, D.C., and it's had some major impact on the lives of a lot of people, not just athletes, but students. There's a lot of great people who have come from our institutions and the leadership, but the athleticism that has started from a lot of our HBCUs, but specifically CIAA, has allowed us to continue our legacy. And so this tournament means a lot because it allows for us to congregate ourselves. It's a community where we celebrate our history. It's a place where basketball is the center of why we're at the tournament in the first place, but we get to showcase our athletes in their best selves as students and athletes. And so for me, it's personal um, because I'm a CIAA product, but it's also in the professional side is assuring that we do all the things that make people feel like they have a sense of belonging in the CIAA, whether you went to a school or not. How did the move from Charlotte to Baltimore occur? I know that the league's offices are in Charlotte. Were you looking to move to a new destination or did Baltimore approach you with an offer that was just too good to refuse? Yeah, I think Baltimore, they submitted a bid. Um, we went through the bid process and it wasn't that we wanted to leave Charlotte. So, you know, I keep telling people, you know, Charlotte is our home. We moved here to be a part of this community and we're still a part of it. Uh, but when we went out to for the new bid process and our board, you know, I have a very different board than I started with. And not that they're 
any better than the board in the past, but I think you got new members in who want a new opportunity to really see the value of the conference. And you have Northern institutions that have never been able to host since 1952. We hadn't been in the Baltimore area, uh, but really wanted to see if there was an opportunity to move the tournament closer to some of their schools and their fans and alumni. And so we went out to bid. Baltimore absolutely submitted a bid that, um, that was hard to turn down. Their commitment to Everything that we do from inside the building to outside in the community, from the state being involved, um, their ability to help promote and also, you know, leverage um, the state's ability to be involved on the financial side. I think that was extremely attractive to see the support around this tournament that wasn't just local, but it was really the region that's really helping support the tournament for Baltimore. What has the reaction from fans been since you've announced that you were moving the tournament to Baltimore? And do you plan on staying there for a while or could you see the tournament moving around more in the future? No, you know, it's um, it, that's a, a great question because when we were here, you had varying opinions whether we needed to leave or whether we'd stay. And some people coming up from the north were tired of coming here. You know, obviously the individuals and in schools that are closest to here never want to leave. But I do think, you know, when we put it out, again, you had various concerns about public safety, concerns about the weather, concerns about, you know, travel, all those things. And I think Baltimore has helped us really address all those concerns. Weather is weather. We tr we're still tracking weather. Like if the tournament happened today, what is happening up north? We've always done that across our member institutions and our travel. The public safety is a concern everywhere we go. So making sure that we communicate. Our communications plans are pretty tight. But I do think there's an excitement. I think there's an excitement in the DMV area. Bowie State is hosting their institution and fans and alumni are ecstatic. Lincoln is sort of like the co-host. Um, they're excited as well. So you're seeing this whole new fan base of people who want to be involved in the tournament that may not have been involved or maybe didn't even know much about the tournament, but now they do. So I, I think we're getting a lot more positives um, than negatives. Of course, nobody really wants to travel far for anything if you've been right here local, but the opportunity for us, I think, is great for the conference brand. So many college conferences want to make their postseason tournaments more than just the basketball. There will be, a, in Baltimore, a series of events beyond the games. You have Fan Fest. You have Education Day. You have a Career Expo. How important is it for the CIAA to have these ancillary events around your postseason tournament so that it's not just about the sports? Yeah, I consider, and I've said this, I consider, consider ourselves as Black tourism, and I see basketball is the core of what we, the basketball games have to happen, and they have to be right for the student-athletes, and that's going to happen. I do think there's a, a, a responsibility as part of our legacy, and what we do, our three pillars are legacy, uh, leadership, and community. And so what we do in the community and demonstrate leadership to gravitate the community and alumni and fans beyond the game is important. Now, we know that everybody's not coming to the game. So if they're not coming to the game, how do we make sure that they are still connected to the CIAA and feel like they can engage? The Fan Fest is a big deal for us. I mean, that it used to be a four-day event. We pared it down to two-day two event 
So it's more manageable and it doesn't conflict in our schedule with our games. We want people to go to the game, but enjoy the fan fest, the entertainment that we have. We have some of our own day parties. Um, the great thing about Baltimore is that we were able to have holds on the venue so that we could have first priority opposed to other event holders coming in and taking it up. And we can't offer it to our sponsors or we can't use it ourselves. And so I think Baltimore helping us do that has really allowed us to use spaces that we probably wouldn't have had um, if we hadn't had this arrangement with them. So, you know, we want people to see also our virtual platform. So we are doing, we had a virtual tournament last year, which is the craziest thing to think about. Um, But we did, we were able to stay relevant in the space in COVID and we still have a hybrid of things happening on our platform. So we definitely want people to go to CIAATournament.org and our sports network so that they can still be a part of the tournament, even if you're not able to travel to Baltimore. But there's so much to do, no matter if you are in your mommy's tummy or you're that seasoned adult who just wants to sit and watch games all day. We can can make that happen. How do you assess each year on which events around the tournament week do you keep? How do you reinvent them? And when you're going to Baltimore for as a, for the first time, what's that process like in talking to them and saying, they have some ideas, we'd like to do this. And on top of all the other things you do, what is that communication like? It's um, It's been great. The local organizing committee, I think this, this has helped us a lot too. We had a local organizing committee here, but we have one in Baltimore that is is similar, but there's more engagement involvement on them being a part of the event side and also the fundraising side. There are events on the schedule that they are actually hosting as an extension and as a part of the CIAA. So it's not us putting on all the events. We have a partner that is making sure that the local community and contributors are having an opportunity to have access to events, private events, tickets, you name it. Um, We have actually our first event um, the kickoff the week is a clinic. It's a basketball clinic for some youth. We'll bring, bring Earl the Pearl and Bobby Dandridge, uh, myself, to really to talk to these kids and just inspire them, but give them also a chance to be around some clinicians, coaches, um, to have the opportunity to have that type of engagement to get them ready for the upcoming tournament. So I do think our partnership with them has opened up opportunities for them to get on our schedule. So what we said when we came here, just because we did it doesn't mean that we should continue to do it, right? So this year will truly help us evaluate after this year, what will it look like in the future? Should we continue to have, you know, Career Expo, Education Day? Those are important events for our partners. And so we've kept those because one, we want to recruit students to our institutions and we want our partners to be able to recruit recruit unique talent from our HBCUs. So whether it's hybrid, virtual or in-person, I think those are events that we'll keep no matter, we might have to modify them. But all the other things that we do, I think they'll be, I think we'll be um, open, you know, to make shifts wherever we have to. Now, the other thing you asked me about the extension in Baltimore, we have one more year after this year in Baltimore. Um, You know, they lost the year with COVID, although we did the virtual tournament. We have been in discussions with them since then, you know, during that time, whether they wanted to extend a year or have a two-year extension. That hasn't been determined yet, but it definitely will give them the first right of refusal for that discussion. Um, after this tournament, we'll evaluate if whether we all want to move forward for additional years. You met, you hit on something that I'd like to follow up on, and that is how you see this tournament as a community gathering, but also in terms of inspiring youths, giving them the chance to understand that 
HBCUs going to a CIAA school is something that is attainable to them. How important, how much do you see that as part of your mission beyond each tournament game and making sure that people, it really is a community event? Yeah, it's, um, and I, and I said, it's like this professional and this personal thing. I know what CIAA and HBCUs have done for me and members of my family in the community. I always say, you know, the young people in Baltimore that will get a chance to see our 12 member schools and we'll add like Morgan State and Coppin, some of the local schools, they're part of our HBCU community. We have the opportunity to bring, and normally we've been very protective of who's in that, in the, in our institutions because our schools want to recruit those students. But we recognize that coming to Baltimore, we have a, a way to still expose our kids across the world to all of our institutions that really have been a staple in the conference. Morgan was a member of the CIAA. Howard was a founding member. Maryland Eastern Shore was a member of the CIAA. So it's kind of hard to leave them out when they've already been members of our family. They're still our sisters and brothers. But I do think the goal is to ensure that our students can value higher education at all levels, division one, two, and three. They can value the, the culture of all institutions, whether you're an HBCU or non-HBCU. We don't want to be left out. And so for me to give that exposure to say in your top five or top 10, no matter if you're black or white, consider an HBCU as an opportunity to get a quality and a wonderful education. It is a place that's different and no, not, nothing like any other. And I went to Temple for grad school. I love Temple. But let me tell you, you can never take away my HBCU experience from Hampton University. <laughs> you mentioned the CIAA. It was founded in 1912. It's the oldest HBCU conference in the country. And you have basketball Hall of Famers all over your alumni list. You have Earl Lloyd, who is the first Black man to play in the NBA. You have Sam Jones, who recently passed away, a 10-time NBA champion and Celtics legend. You mentioned Earl the Pearl Monroe will be part of the tournament week. Detroit Pistons icon Ben Wallace was in inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame this past summer. You are an HBCU student athlete and national champion on the women's side. Lately, there's been such a surge of awareness and brand visibility for HBCU conferences and schools. Describe what it's like, both as a former athlete and now as an administrator, to see so much talk about HBCU sports on the national level than perhaps ever before. It's like about time. You know, it's unfortunate that things and culture and the world, the way that our world is, that it took some bad stuff for some good stuff to happen, right? But instead of seeing it as um, negative, for us, it's a positive. I mean, our schools have always been staples in this country. I was talking um, to a group the other day, and I'm preparing some notes for our sponsor call today, and I'd love to give a little bit of history to everyone. I mean, if you think about Thurgood Marshall, he went to Lincoln University in Pennsylvania. He was denied the opportunity to go to University of Maryland, so he went to Howard. And then, you know, you have the third, you know, it's just all this history that you just can't let go. And the Ben Wallace, I got to coach with Ben Wallace. I got to play um, at Hampton when Bobby Dandridge was the assistant coach for men's basketball. McClendon and Big House Games were like on the sideline when I was playing and when I was working the CIAA the first time, they were people that I were collaborating with. I have photos with them. Like for us, it's our family. And so it's our community. The world sees these 
the HBCUs right now as, oh my gosh, here's some opportunity. But the opportunities have always existed. We've always been staples in our communities. We've always provided this, you know, visibility. It's just the highlight of it now is because now you have some of the major recruits that are considering it, you know, but back in the day we had major recruits considering it. That's a pretty impressive list of Hall of Famers coming from the CIAA just by itself. It it is just, um, it's just an interesting take when people say like, why now? Or what, nothing is different. We're still the same institutions. We're still growing. We still want people to value our institutions. Our financial struggles in the past, you know, those are systematic. We know what those are, but we don't live on those. We still thrive. HBCUs are thriving. And then all the donations that you have seen in the partnerships that we've been able, I mean, what a great opportunity for partners and corporate entities to really see that there is a value to be a part of HBCUs. We've got a lot of good stuff going on that we want the world to see. So I appreciate you asking the questions and allowing us to be a part of your platform. It's important. You are listening to the Sports Travel Podcast. This episode is being sponsored by the Maryland Sports Commission. The Maryland Sports Commission is an industry leader when it comes to hosting world-class sporting events. And we're proud to welcome the CIAA Basketball Tournament to Baltimore, Maryland. The Maryland Sports Commission works with tourism professionals from across the state to recruit and deliver premier sport tourism events and unforgettable experiences for every member of the traveling sports family. From the mountains to the ocean and so much in between, Maryland Sports can work with your organization to plan your next tournament or sport tourism event. Follow Maryland Sports on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and visit us at marylandsports.us. And now, back to the episode. It's not just men's basketball, too. It's women's basketball. You are a women's basketball national champion. What is it like seeing the women's basketball scene more popular than ever before? I love it. You know, I worked at the NCAA for almost 10 years. I worked with women's basketball um, as the director of championships for three and a half years. And then I went to the men's for four years. And so to work at that level and see how we manage. Now, obviously, some things came out this past year, but you know, we, we get it right. I mean, that wasn't, that was just basketball. You know, I just believe that when you have sports, no matter if it's women's or men's, if it's tennis or golf, that we should give these student athletes the best experience and the opportunities to compete at the highest level that we can. And what it's always about resources. We get it as well. My thing is, if you're not going to do it well, then don't have it. So in our conference, we make sure that all of our championships, as best as we can, we give both men and women the same opportunity, the same nice venues, the same signage and gifts. And we've worked hard to get to that point. And when I got here, there were some disparities, but we got rid of those disparities because I don't ever want our student athletes to feel like I had felt growing up playing the game and just trying to get on the court. And so it's the 50th year of Title IX this year, and we'll celebrate that. We'll continue to celebrate our women. The games this year in our deal, ESPN will highlight or we'll have all 22 games. So all teams will be highlighted uh, on, on the platform. It used to be just the men, but now we have both our women and our men being highlighted. So I'm thrilled about what it felt like for me to be on a national platform, what it took and what my coaches put in. And I feel like I have that responsibility to assure that these student athletes and women 
have that same visibility and opportunity to perform at their best. You mentioned that you're in your ninth season as commissioner of the CIAA. When you were hired, you were the first Black female commissioner in NCA Division One, Two, or Three. You've had this career with the NCA. Are you pleased but not satisfied, I guess, would be the question in terms of where diversity inclusion has come? Uh, I'm not satisfied. You know, I'm pleased that the conversations are happening. I'm pleased that there's still some trailblazers and advocates like myself that are going to fight in circles to ensure and we're going to we're going to hold people accountable for what we don't see and what needs to be done. I'm pleased that I'm not the only black female commissioner now. There's four of us. Um, that's exciting. Um, Sonia at the MEAC just got appointed. So I'm, I'm proud of my sister for having that opportunity and Dr. Thomas grooming her to be in that position. That's what we all need. We want to be groomed, giving access and opportunity to be in the position. I'm thankful that, you know, I came to a very male dominant conference, but the women were pretty strong here um, in this conference as well. And I witnessed them, you know, I aspire to be like some of them. And so, and many of them are in our hall of fame and I had the pleasure to know them, whether it was as a player, as administrator, as a coach. And so I do think we have the opportunity to continue to, you know, we're going to celebrate title nine. We all know I'm on the gender equity committee for the NCAA and we've talked about, you know, some of the things and the rhetoric that we hear. But what I said is, as long as we are part of this platform, that we will continue to fight and advocate. Because if it hadn't been for several people advocating on my behalf, that I wouldn't be here. So, you know, that's our job. We have to advocate. Am I satisfied? Absolutely not. You mentioned, I mean, college sports is going through a period of upheaval, perhaps like never before. You've got a new NCA constitution that has been approved and ratified during the annual convention in Indianapolis. Where do you think the future holds for athletics collegiately? And how do you feel the CIAA is positioned for the future? You know, the constitution, the name, image, and likeness, you know, I what I've had said is I, I, I don't, I feel like we're losing the innocence of sport. It's gotten so complicated, the movement of conferences and institutions. Like, what happens to just let's just play and, and it doesn't matter that you're Division <laughs> One, Two, and Three? So, you know, it, it's um, it's changing, and I don't think it's going to stop changing. You know, with the leaders in the leaders in our positions, you know, the revenue that's able to be made. CIAA is not in that league of revenue, but we are in the league of promoting our conference, promoting Black excellence, HBCU excellence. So we try not to get focused on the things that we don't have control of. It would be nice that somebody just drop and land millions of dollars so that we can provide some of the same opportunities as some of the bigger schools do. But somehow we still make it and sometimes somehow we still figure out to find partners to put leadership development you know, we apply for grants. We do all those things in Division Two. It's a very different layout. The Constitution will give Division Two, II, Division One, and Three clear autonomy to to determine how we want to look and feel moving forward. And I don't know what that looks like. I I think the disparities already exist on the financial side, the recruitment side. What I have said to my colleagues that 
students will decide whether they really want to just be division two or they really want to be division one or they really want to be division three because there are going to be three different organizations running parallel trying to provide the same opportunity but just have different philosophies on how we manage you know our teams and our institutions and conferences so am i concerned no, I'm not losing any sleep. It's college athletics is going to change. I just hope that myself and my colleagues in the association are very thoughtful about what the changes look like in our division so that our student athletes are not cheated. I always have felt like they've had great experiences. So this whole transformation thing throws me off a little bit because I've always felt like we've been doing things with the student athlete in mind. I just think there's some things on the backside that we could have done better to support that. When you're going to Baltimore for tournament week, what are you most excited for? The student athletes and crowning a champion. That championship day, like the start of the games on Tuesday, and the champion on Saturday and all the stuff in between happens. But the games for me, if I can sit and watch a game, (laughs) (laughs) Um, I might even be at an event and I'll have it on my phone. I love to watch our athletes play. You know, this, this tournament means a lot to our student athletes. It takes a lot to get to the championship game. You can come in number one and be knocked off and get beat by the team that had to play from Tuesday to Saturday. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm also looking forward to the fan base and the different feel and look that this tournament might have because we're in a different city and people are just anxious. They want to know and see. I will tell you, you know, the concerns around COVID, they still exist. That probably worries me more than anything because I want to make sure that everybody knows what the rules are. So if you're coming to the tournament, you need to have your mask. We highly encourage you to be vaccinated and boosted. If you're not, it won't won't keep you from coming to the game or coming to the fan fest. Luckily, they hadn't put the state, anything that would hold us from that opportunity. But we just want people to be safe. And I I don't want people not just not to come because they're worried that we don't have things in place. We absolutely have things in place. And we'll do the best that we can to safeguard the community. Well, I'm sure that Baltimore is going to be quite a scene when the CIAA tournament comes to town later this month. And Commissioner McWilliams, thank you so much for joining us today on the Sports Travel Podcast. It has been truly my pleasure. And thank you so much for the opportunity. This has been another edition of the Sports Travel Podcast. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on all your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Past episodes are also available at sportstravelmagazine.com, which features breaking news and in-depth features on stories related to the sports event industry. Be sure to visit us daily at sportstravelmagazine.com, at Sports Travel on Twitter and Instagram, and at Sports Travel Magazine on Facebook and LinkedIn. Until then, this is Matt Trout for Sports Travel, and thanks for listening.